Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting experts straight talk in your ear. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's three decades of invaluable research, leadership, management, marketing, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop personally and professionally, wherever you are. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and man, have I got a session for you. This podcast episode is a throwback to our Hot Firm event that recently took place in Dallas, Texas this past September. Um, We brought together and assembled a powerhouse all-star squad of executives from the design industry to talk about how to elevate the industry. It was a panel discussion. We wanted to talk about where the industry is currently, where they think things are headed, and some of the major challenges facing our industry as a whole. We brought together Seppi Saidi from Seppi Engineering and Construction, Steve Lucy from JQ Engineers. We brought Ozzy Nelson on the stage from Nelson. We brought David Wantman from WGI and Josh Brown from Huckabee. And I tell you, these guys set it afire. This was a can't-miss session. It was the end of our Hot Firm event before we had our big finale um, award ceremony that evening. And I got to tell you, these guys did not disappoint. If you want to know or at least get an idea of where some of these leaders think the industry is headed, you need to listen to this podcast. Without further ado... Here's the gang for Elevate the Industry, the panel discussion at Hot Firm back in September in Dallas, Texas. Seppi Saidi, Steve Lucy, Ozzy Nelson, David Wantman, and Josh Brown. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Uh, please respond back in the comments. Uh, if you want to shoot me an email, you can always do so at rwilburn at zygroup.com. I'd love to know what you thought about this particular episode. Listen, let's make it a great 2019. I hope you guys have a great day. Take care. Good morning. Welcome to our closing session of the 2018 Hot Firm and AE Industry Awards Conference. As you heard yesterday, Zwei Group's new mission is elevate the industry. And our newly developed vision statement is why group exists to advance the AEC profession. We believe in a world that celebrates the built environment and recognizes its impact on individuals, communities, and commerce. 
Elevate the industry. Sounds pretty lofty, doesn't it? Well, we believe it's so important. Yesterday, I shared with you some of our thoughts about what we have to do to get a jump start and change the perceptions about the AEC industry. We know there is work to do to promote, diversify, educate, change, and celebrate within our industry. But candidly, we don't have all the answers, which leads me to this esteemed panel before you. When we were brainstorming on a powerful close to our conference, what better way than to close with the collective thinking of smart, experienced leaders about a topic as inspiring as transforming our industry? How powerful. So we asked some friends of Zwei Group and personal mentors of ours who are leaders in their firms in the industry to join us today. I also am welcoming Jamie Claire Kaiser, Zwei Group CFO and Director of Consulting, and we're both going to lead this conversation about just what it means to elevate the industry. With us on stage are Josh Brown, Director of Dallas and Vice President of Huckabee, Steve Lucy, CEO and partner of JQ Engineering, Ozzy Nelson, CEO of Nelson, Seppi Saidi, President and CEO of Seppi Engineering and Construction, and David Wantman, CEO of WGI. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, we want to hear from you as well as this discussion unfolds in the audience. So first, I'm gonna start with a question for each of you. So please take two to three minutes and tell us what does Elevate the Industry mean to you and what do you believe we need to do to achieve this mission? Any of you? Yeah. Ladies first. You want me to start here? Sure. They, want, they, all, they all need more time to think, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so, so Chad and I actually had a conversation about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a really unique question that I think nobody had really asked with the level of specificity that, that Chad did. And so, I gave a lot of thought to it. We spoke for about an hour. And, and what it really came down to is that the, the infrastructure market and the delivery of solutions to our clients uh, has long been overlooked. And it, we've talked about infrastructure spending and the decline, especially in North America, of our infrastructure for a long time. And it has finally attracted a lot of interest. And what I mean by a lot of interest is it's, it's not just the architects or the engineers or the landscape architects or the affiliated professionals that are interested in our business. It's everybody. If you pick up the Wall Street Journal, you see questions on infrastructure. If you listen to commentary out of the White House or the leadership in DC, you hear comments on infrastructure. If you attend our professional societies, you hear comments on infrastructure. And over the last several years, guess who's really interested in infrastructure? Everybody with the money, the MES lenders, the private equity lenders, the bank on the corner, the big banks, they have tons of money to spend in the infrastructure space. It's not just in public-private partnerships, it's in buying firms, pushing firms together, making them more efficient, changing the way we do business. And so the things in my mind that are elevating this industry is the ability to understand all that, to bring it all together, to bring value, and to finally set ourselves apart as a profession where people want to come to work. 
because we can sit at a conference like this and we can talk a lot about how hard it is to find talent. Guess what? Stop talking about it. It's not going to get any better for the, for the rest of the people's careers in this room. It's probably only going to get harder. And so if you want to elevate the profession, find a way to attract the youngest and brightest students out of college into what we do. They don't need to be in other professions. You can make just as much, you can have just as much of a challenge, and you can be the center of attention on some really, really great things. And so from my perspective, there's no better way to elevate our profession than to really focus at the educational level, high school, college, and even younger. But let's start to attract the talent. That's the solution to the problems that we all have when it comes to staffing our growth. And as you've heard a lot of people say, and we, we just heard it in the last session, if you don't grow in this profession, you're contracting. And that's a very, very terrible place to be. You're not gonna grow organically by stealing folks from each other. It's not gonna happen anymore. And so the solution is train them, educate them, but most importantly, attract the talent. Let's create that vibe that people understand how exciting it is to work in our business and that it is very, very financially rewarding. And there's a lot of options, there's a lot of flexibility. And so if you wanna elevate the business, let's get the talent in here. Let's, let's steal the talent from the other professions. I think that is probably the number one thing that we can do. Thank you, David. Um, so first when I was, um, I think I got an email from Jamie Clark about uh, this panel. And when I heard the phrase elevate the industry, it was very fascinating to me that you all thought about that. So I want to thank you for bringing it and making it front and center. And it made me think, um, when I think about elevating the industry, it makes me think, what are the gaps? What, what, is, it ha what, ha what is happening here now that requires us to take it to the next level? So um, in my opinion, there are, it's multifaceted. One is the fundamental fact that I don't think engineers are given enough value for, for the impact that we have on the built environment. And I remember when I was working um, on a committee for um, ACEC many, many years ago when I had just started my company, it was engineers week, one week out of the year, and there was a particular video that said what engineers do. We would take this uh, video to the middle schools and also show them the video and then have them build a popsicle bridge and put weights on it to kind of get them an understanding of this. And I remember that video was something that honestly everybody needs to look at it. It showed about how clean water is because of engineers, the infrastructure, the electricity. There's uh, an incredible amount of uh, uh, success and growth that we see in our uh, current world is because of engineers. But we don't get the same value that, that uh, other professions get, and I wonder why. So it's really important. I think the educational aspect of it is really, really important to, to put more emphasis on the impact that we make in the, uh, in the environment. Um, and I started a few years ago in my firm to talk about the bigger purpose. Because uh, I had gone to conferences similar to this and I heard that that's really important you talk about the purpose. So now I do it almost every month. In our monthly meetings, I tell people that we're not designing a road. We are 
improving our communities because that's access to economic development. And how the bridges, the roads, the environmental, the wetlands, serve everything we do is directly impacting our bigger community we live in, from education, because people can get to schools, to hospitals, to, I mean, the, the fundamental of economic development is infrastructure. So when we, if you think about it in a bigger picture, you realize how important is the daily work of our engineers. So I make it a major priority to always mention to everybody, the younger engineer, seasoned engineer, that you're not, this is not just a plan. Look at the big picture and the safety, the quality. How does it impact the citizens around us? You know, the hospitals can be open if there are not roads that access it. So I think it's really important for us to, to think about it in a more meaningful and, and added value about the daily work we do. And it should be also reflected in the fees that we are uh, charging. I, I had a, um, a legal issue and I called one of my friends who's a litigator with one of the large firms in Raleigh and I said, can you send me an engagement letter? Her hourly rate is $600 an hour. And I said, seriously? I mean, I know this is important, I know. And, and it's, I don't want to, um, put too much emphasis on the financial aspect, but it's really important. How do, how do the lawyers and CPAs and other consultants that we hire, how do they were able to uh, increase and get more value out of their fees? So um, I think to uh, David's point about our recruitment and retention, we need to be able to pay the higher salaries and benefits to be able to recruit and to be able to get the younger generation interested in going into engineering. So I think that by elevating the industry, we are not only talking about the value added, but what we do for the citizens, but the benefits of having a career. And we can produce films that are like you know, emergency rooms like, or the, all the legal for the, on the TV shows that make it all glamorous, the ER and so forth. I mean, if we could produce a Hollywood movie about our challenges every day, the risk management aspect of everything we do, maybe we would get a lot more people in, in engineering, but I think that's not a, I, I don't have the statistic, but I don't know if the numbers are increasing. I would say it's not increasing the number of uh, young people who choose to go into engineering. So I think it's really timely, it's very important, and, and we should do more to be able to attract talent because what we do is absolutely imperative to the future. Well, since I'm at the midway point here, I'll provide a little levity for those of you who haven't noticed my socks. Um, so this is what happens when a shameless uh, promoter like Marks Wide and a serial entrepreneur get together. I've actually have rented my ankles for the last hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, uh, unlike a lot of CEOs in, in the industry, do not come from the industry, if you will. I've been in the industry for 30 years, but my formal training is in, in business, uh, both in marketing and accounting. So I think because of that, I've always tended to look at the industry and what it means to elevate the industry a little bit differently. Um, I guess I have two answers to this question, and the first is a short-term answer in terms of what does it look like to elevate the industry over the next five to, to 10 years. 
Uh, and then what does it look like to elevate the industry beyond that? So in the, in the next five to 10 years, um, I think there's been, whether it's architectural firms or engineering firms, this steady progression uh, to move away from a practitioner to a true business. And the drivers there have been um, scale, they've been diversification, they've been requests and better service to the client, um, you know, increasing, creating a, a greater sense of brand for the firm, retention of employees. You know, we could create the checklist of things that uh, create a great firm and represent the elevation of a firm. Um, I think there's still a healthy tug and pull today in the industry where those things that I just mentioned are really only embraced uh, as a necessity. So if we perceive that everybody knows our brand, we don't continue to really work on our brand and elevate our brand. If we're not having a problem retaining people, we don't continue to create retention policies that are a knockout punch for our competition. So I think again, over the next five to 10 years, it's about looking at all of the things that make a great organization and let's, you know, forget if we're an engineering firm, architectural firm, whatever we do as a service, yes, those things have to get better and we have to continue to advance our abilities in those areas, but we also have to look at the other parts of our business and be as serious about elevating them as we are what we believe to be our core business. Look out over 10 years and it's anybody's guess, but um, I believe that we are coming to the dis most disruptive period uh, in humankind. Uh, recently read a book where three of the 300 plus uh, American jobs, 80 million of those jobs will be eliminated by uh, automation of some sort. And the author's uh, uh, whole point in this is that there's gonna need to be this shift for people to stay employable going from very hands-on jobs, calculation jobs, jobs that will be replaced by artificial intelligence. But the thing that won't be replaced is the ability to interpret what needs to be done with the computer. Um, I think particularly in, in industries like design and architecture where it is a very, uh, its roots are in very technical um, answers that uh, we need to continue to move much more to to be analysts uh, as opposed to calculators. Um, and then the final uh, piece of this is, I think we need to look outside of this industry and look at business in general and look at the transformation that's happening at companies like Google or Amazon. You know, I think that will continue to be much more, there'll be much more vertical, horizontal and vertical integration in businesses because the core reason for businesses to exist will be changing. And it'll be about a an economic sustainability um, it, it, as, as certain doors close, other doors have to open. I'll, I'll give you one quick example. Uh, beginning of this year, our firm acquired FRCH, which is the number three brand and retail design firm in uh, the country. Um, and in one of the early pitches, we didn't get an opportunity for a, a big box retail uh, project. And the reason was that the client used to come to us and, tell, and say, tell us what our store should be. And today they come and say, tell us what our experience should be. 
So the digital component of our offering was missing. The component where we would build the app and we would build the website so that when you go into the store, the experience is consistent with what you saw online. Um, so you know, for those that say retail is dying, if you're a consultant, that's a really good example of how it's not dying, it's just shifting. And we have to be willing to look at what we do as a business much differently as we move into the future. I'm not wearing the socks, but I am from Texas, so I am wearing boots so that I can feel comfortable <laughs> up here. Uh, the, uh, from, from my point of view, the big, one of the biggest ones is the inclusion factor. It's interesting if you, if you look at the university level and you start to understand how many people, uh, who is entering our profession, we've already lost them before they've got to that point. Or what's really stark is if you start looking at those that enter as freshmen that graduate and how many we lose during that four-year period, uh, they may not be lost to the university, and so the university tracks a retention rate to graduation, but if you actually look within the discipline that they start and they, and they exit, we've already lost 30 plus, 30, sometimes 40% of the people who we thought were gonna go into our industry before they even come out of school. And so as an industry, we have to really start grabbing them early within the high school level and help shepherd them through that process and make that much more inclusive to how we're gonna come out on the backside. Uh, and also that our, our professions can more closely mimic our communities that we are because we are not at all aligned with what the United States is as a whole from a demographic standpoint. And we're really losing opportunities there. I think the, yesterday there was a comment about how many AE firms there were in the United States. It's about 145,000, and we talk about how we're all so splintered and we have this problem. Well, you can look at law. I, I looked that up last night, and there's 48,000 law firms in, in 2010. They're just as splintered as we are, but they don't have the same issue, and we seem to come with this chip on our shoulders uh, thinking that someone else is gonna solve a problem for us and elevate our profession and we really have to, we are the ones that are gonna to have to elevate our profession. We cannot rely on somebody else to do it. Somehow these other professions have, have figured out a way in order to make themselves appear valuable to the, to the larger business community, whereas we seem to have taken the opposite approach of we wanna stay in the background and we don't want to bring attention to ourselves. Uh, and we really have to get around that, and I think we will. Uh, it's, it's interesting that we're doing, you know, the numbers of marketing within our firms are going up, but w the numbers of marketing of our profession globally is not going up, and I think we really need to look at how we do that. Uh, a week and a half ago, I was, I'm, a, I'm a Texas Aggie, uh, and uh, I was, this is a good audience to get that response. Uh, I was down on campus because we're rededicating uh, our largest acad uh, engineering academic building, 550,000 square feet. We are the largest engineering program in the United States, over 20,000 students on the campus just related to engineering. Our dean steps up and she thanks the contractor and the architects for the building and never mentions engineering. There were more engineers that worked on that job than any of the other categories that she named. Uh, and it wasn't even mentioned in the dedication commentary. And I thought if we, you know, how stark is that? Uh, that we don't even talk to ourselves when we're talking about an engineering building from the Dean of Engineering of the largest program in the United States. Um, so we really need to, to look at how we talk. We're very splintered. And I think part of our splintered nature is from 
uh, all the different, uh, we have subdivided ourselves by specialization into different engineering categories, different architectural categories. And so unlike the other professions, we don't have a consistent voice of how we talk about ourselves. And if we can address that issue, that will help. Uh, and more than any other, we have such an impact on everybody around us. Everything in this room had an engineering component to it. Everything we experience all day long has an engineering and a built component to it of this industry that we're trying to elevate. And we really need to celebrate that and talk about that and how we can each individually uh, elevate it, how we can do that uh, as a group and actually become not an engineering or an architectural consultant, but a business consultant uh, because we are businesses. And if we are a business consultant, we are so much more valuable to everybody else around us and will be appreciated more. All right, I, I think time's up. I think we've used our two or three minutes with the others. Uh, so I'll try to be brief. Uh, to me, it boils down to one word, value. Um, I think as a profession, both architectural and engineering, I feel like we're all very quick to please our clients. We don't, we don't ever wanna disrupt uh, you know, a, a positive thing. And so we're very quick to say yes all the time. And I think that's had a negative impact on us as a profession. If you look at all the other professions, medical and, and law and all of those, uh, as you alluded to, the $600 an hour rate, I think all of those professions have continued to um, provide a value and be able to explain to their, their client the value that they're providing. And I think uh, for me personally in our company, we only do educational facilities. And I think if you think about educational facilities and school districts in the state of Texas, everything that they do encompasses all of the different sectors of architecture, whether it be educational facilities, business facilities, sports venues, um, culinary uh, and hospitality, all of those things exist within education. And we in our firm, over the years have, in order to retain the top people, we have created opportunity for them within our organization. And those opportunities have been created by providing services for our clients, providing value and bringing value to our clients, which we all want to do and we all strive to do. But inherently in that, we've given everything away. And so how do you step back and, and, and every contract that goes across our company, comes across my desk, whether it be a owner architect agreement, uh, whether it be a consultant agreement, it comes across my desk. And about a year and a half ago, I kind of set on this charge uh, within my organization to say, why are we doing it for free? If, if, if talent is harder to find and, and salaries are gonna have to continue to increase to, to recruit that talent or to retain that talent, why am I giving so much away? Why do my clients not understand the value that I'm giving them? And how can I make that transformation within my organization to make all the people within my company from the top to the bottom understand that value? And so I've embarked on that journey and I think we've, we've come a long way. And so I would challenge each of you to do that, to say, why? Why am I giving it away? Why am I not unapologetically explaining to my client what I'm doing for them. 
And I think that has a huge impact on uh, each of us as profession professionals. Going to the uh, recruitment and, and investing in education, uh, that's all we do. For 52 years, we've done educational facilities. So we are um, in tune to uh, elementary, secondary, and higher education work. And so we're understanding uh, what those components are. How does a learner learn? The reality is, is everybody sitting in this room learned differently than what the kids today learn, dramatically differently. With the invent of technology and social media and online courses and all of those things, our industry, in my opinion, our industry is a very much collaborative, want to have a conversation, uh, need to put pen to paper, all of that kind of stuff. And with the invent of this technology and, and the way that kids are learning today, I think that has a big, a big impact on us being able to pull in these talents and why we're losing kids early in their schooling. And so as a profession, we have to understand our value. We have to mentor uh, like we've never mentored before. We have to be out there and be present because everybody said it up here. Everything that we know and see is created by all of us the built environment we've had a hand in. And I don't think enough young people understand that. They play with Legos, Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys, all those things that we all played with as kids and then some of them have continued to play with. Well, why can't they understand the significance of that time and how that translates into what we all do each and every day? So, so those are the things that I would say. So uh, yesterday, Chad identified several key issues that are facing AEC firms today, and two of them that uh, we thought were very crucial were the role of women in AEC firms uh, and championing qualifications-based selection. So you don't all have to answer this one, but any of these topics that you would like to share your perspective on, or uh, if there's something else, maybe what you think is the most critical issue facing your firm today. Well, mine is uh, the commoditization, commoditization of architecture, and I think it goes back to the value. I think um, because we only do business in Texas and we only do business in the sector of education, we have a very small um, group of firms that we compete against, and more are entering our market, but there's a, there's a core group that really, really compete in our industry. Um, and I feel like we have done each other an, uh, an injustice because we allow our fee to continue to get pushed down. We allow more services to continue to get put in that reduced fee. We allow all of that. And I think, it, I think it's about time as we talk about elevating, I think it's about time for all of us to really um, sit in a room together and say, what are we worth? And what are we willing to accept? And if it's truly going to be qualifications-based, then let it be qualifications-based. Don't let it be about fee. If we can all be in agreement that the fee is the fee, then let your portfolio and let your staff and let all of that speak for itself. Because I, I, I just see it as a huge problem. Jimmy, uh, maybe I'll take the contrarian view uh, to I think what the traditional voice of the industry is that I, you know, I often point out to teammates in our own company that if you go down the store and uh, you buy a 48-inch 
digital TV, uh, the pretty good chance that if you come back a year later, uh, the quality has gotten better and the price has gone down. That's just the way business works. And, and if you look at the life cycle of any product or business, you know, everybody, you know, they, they, they charge heavily in the beginning to take advantage of the innovation and over time it gets commoditized. And even in the pharmaceutical industry, your patent runs out at some point and it goes over the counter. So maybe the unpopular position in this room is why should services that haven't changed for years not go through that same economic cycle? I, for me, it's about evaluating the services that are commodity, realizing that they are commodity and not trying to sell them on an added value basis and trying to value engineer the price of those services because they're always gonna be regulated by the market. And then to always be looking at the services that are, that are helping us to elevate our prices that are much more aligned with either innovation, disruption in the marketplace, um, or some kind of knowledge that we bring as an advisor to those services that makes us different in the marketplace. I think if we're gonna get a premium, it's because it's gonna be harder. There's, got, there's only gonna be a certain number of other firms that are gonna be able to compete, and that's what's gonna give us the elasticity on price. But, I, but I, I firmly believe for our strategy, we should be in both the commodity businesses and the non-commodity businesses, because you can make, you know, one of our, one of our units is rolling out retail branch or retail facilities. Every year we, we roll out about 2,500 retail um, uh, prototype or uh, standardizations of prototypes. So not very creative, doesn't come with a high, high price in the marketplace, but from a performance standpoint, it's one of our most profitable uh, units. <clears throat> giving me a microphone and asking me about women in industry may not there be a good idea. There it is, I'm idea. waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, at first, I want to go back, go talk about the QBS, and I would love to hear the other gentlemen here talk about women in the industry as well. Uh, but um, I think one of the challenges that we have, and, and I don't know other states, in, is that um, in, for doing work for the um, state of North Carolina in the state construction office, we have to be on an architect's team to be able to be selected. So we do not get selected automatically. And I think in a lot of other cases, um, engineers, if the, in your firm you do not offer architectural firm, you have to be uh, on an architect's team and we, it, for the pavement and for various reasons, it creates challenges. So I think if we were able to get selected individually be, um, and not have to be on their architect's team, it would help us. And I would encourage, um, if you are not required to submit a fee, I would say that it, sometimes there, uh, there are towns or municipalities or entities that require fees and we do not submit fees because it's, they should be a QBS, but some firms do. So I think being more united in how we approach our industry is gonna help everybody. Um, and of course, there are many ways you could, you know, structure how you earn uh, uh, the fee that you need to fee. But um, I would say that it's really important to not um, become a commodity, in my opinion, because it's very difficult. But um, the, my main passion, women and, and business. And um, um, I think clearly, I mean, when you look around the room, 
there are not enough women in our industry, there are not enough women in, as CEOs in leadership roles. And I get asked that question quite a bit, why there are not enough women in this time in the United States of America, there are not more women CEOs, not only in our industry, but in all industries. When you look at Fortune 500, there are only 32 women in Fortune 500 companies. So and I've given it a lot of thought, and I think it's an important question, and it's, a, it's not an easy question, because there's a history of um, how women have been, you know, when you have, um, so, okay, I'm gonna go there. So when, there's, when the, there are no birth control pills, and women are getting pregnant, somebody has to take care of the children. So when you look back into the first of the century where women couldn't have the right to vote, so first of all, we didn't have the right to vote. Then you don't have uh, ability to have a, a control over your family, uh, you know, raising children and all of this. Um, so women being in the industry has not been a long time. The reason I talk about the history of it is because it's really, really important for us to have a historical perspective about challenges that women have faced throughout the history in the past century. And that's why it's more difficult for women to have been in the industry. So when we're looking at the past, and, and ERA has not been passed in North Carolina, I know for sure but as a constitutional amendment, it has not been passed. So um, when you look at the, the dynamic of how women have been not been in the industry, it's a new thing that they had to be in the job. Senior leaders are men. There's much more dynamic of the office and work environment, uh, it, which is very different. It, I'm not saying it's bad or it's good, it's different for women to go out with a client and have a drink after work is not as easy for men to go out with clients because majority of the clients are men. There's a lot of little nuances that are obstacle to women being able to, uh, uh, to voice their opinion and be at the table. So I think it's all of our responsibility to make it a priority and be intentional about including women into leadership positions. Women hesitate more. They have more feelings of maybe I'm not qualified. Sometimes men say, well, I'll just go figure it out. Women feel like they have to have it all figured out before they raise their hand. So it's important for us to encourage them to raise their hand when you see a talent, even if they're not volunteering. If you see the talent, you should, I would say we should encourage them. We should bring them along. In my uh, business about two years ago, one of my husband's friends whose wife is a teacher told me that in their school, there's assistant teacher, it's an engineer, civil engineer, she's from Iraq and she wears hijab. She didn't tell me she wears hijab, she just told me she's an engineer. And I said, um, she said she wants to get back engineering but she can't get a job in engineering. And I said, well, I would love to hire her. And I didn't interview her. I wanted the other people to interview her so we'll make sure she has qualification. So she came in the door and she's wearing hijab, perfect. It's, there's no issues for me. Um, and they interviewed her and they thought she's very, very bright, very smart. So 
I said to them, we are going to hire her. She, didn't, she needed more training. She didn't know microstation as well, didn't know our tools of trade as well. But it was very essential to me that we have this diversity and this inclusion, and we, ha we make other people feel comfortable with somebody else. So she has now been a fantastic roadway design engineer for us over the past three years, and she's gonna sit for her PE hopefully in the next two years. And th that has led to other uh, people be able to feel comfortable from different sex, gender, national origin, so forth, that we, we are getting a lot more. So I would say that not only because the recruitment is difficult right now, it's important, but as Warren Buffett said, he said, I am successful partly because I had to only compete with 50% of the population. So when there is a, a tremendous amount of opportunity out there in in my opinion, in women, that it's not tapped, so it's going to benefit the industry. That's my soapbox. <laughs> That's great. Thank you all for that input. Uh, very, very insightful. Uh, we're running a little short on time, so what I'd like to do is ask the audience if you have any questions for the panelists, or if you and your firms, or a firm that you admire, is doing something that you believe is elevating the industry share ideas or ask questions from the panelists. Do we have anybody? Okay. Thank you, Paul from ATI. Um, <clears throat> Seppi, to your point, uh, ATI is an architect and engineering firm and I reflect back, the last time I was at a hot firm conference was I wanna say in 2001 or two and I would say the demographic between then and now was about the same um, but I can speak to the fact that in the evolution from the early 2000s to now 2018 our firm has about 40 percent of the population of our technical practitioners are female and it has made a remarkable difference in the way that we produce our work in the way that we create our work in the way that we collaborate with our work. And I wanna encourage all of you, because it's a big step, to really promote and advance the women in your, in your businesses because it will be a game changer for you. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Um, Tiffany Olson with ISG. Um, I guess being a female, I'm just kind of like jumping and shaking over here in the chair, so I've got a microphone, I won't go on a soapbox, I'm already six feet tall, I don't need to add any height. Um, I guess the, the one thing that, uh, in, in my opinion, is that some of these conversations get me fired up of, it's not, I think the more we talk about we need to include a woman, we need to include that is, that goes against everything I think of what we need to do, there isn't a, um, stereotype of, you know, we're timid, we're shy, we're human beings, we're all human beings, and however we got to where we are, I think, is based upon individuals. We've talked about empowerment in some of these other sessions of what we can do for culture. We're problem solvers. Our industry is, it's not about gender. We're selling solutions. We're selling the world around us. And I think it's good to be aware if there's a problem where somehow gender is coming into the conversation. Um, that's a, probably an individual situation, um, but I don't think that there should be some sort of 
gung-ho, let's make sure females get in a seat. It should be who the right person is. It should be, should that individual be empowered to be able to make the strategic decisions? If it's a female, if it's a male, if they're purple, yellow, it really doesn't matter. So I think um, if we're more inclusive of not seeing any of that, um, the reason I'm at the firm that I'm at is gender, age, where you came from, the accent you have, no one cares. <laughs> and we don't talk about it. And there are places that do, and I get that. But I think if we put too much neon around it, um, then we're going to go too far to the other side. So I think it's about all of us making sure we're setting the right example and we're focusing on elevating the industry and not elevating something else. You know, I would just say one thing, and I, I would agree with you if if there was equal opportunity for all throughout the, ha the uh, you know, years. The only reason that I would say there has to be emphasized is because I don't think over the decades prior to this has always been equal opportunity. And I would, I would say the, uh, from my point of view, the, when I'm talking about reflective of our community, that's why it's, that's more important to me than reflective of any specific gender or demographic that we need to we need to be inclusive from that standpoint i think one thing we can do as an industry is we tend to we talk about how we benchmark and we look at peers and we need to understand that we're looking at that peers are benchmarking in many cases they have the exact same problems we have so we really need to benchmark and look at peers outside of our industry that have been successful and if you start to do that you start to set up uh, uh, policies say against uh, for parental leave and things like that that as an industry we're way behind on what other industries wants to do to make it really inclusive and a place where people want to go and uh, but it is interesting if you look at the websites and you could look at the websites i imagine for almost everybody at this conference and how skewed the the leadership is within those firms and that's, that's not a knock on anybody, it's just a reality of where we're coming from, but where we want to go. And if we look at where we want to go and plan policies and procedures and work environments, because I would also agree that our work environment, as we have changed as a firm, is much more inviting and appealing, even for me to come into work, than it was when I started in my career in 1983. Uh, it's, 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 just a much more pleasant place and environment to, to work when you've got a diversity around you to, to be able to, to take part in that. Um, one thing I would say, uh, first of all, it's interesting to be reminded of when women couldn't vote because in my house, it's only women that vote. But <laughs> um, I, you know, and I agree with what Tiffany, Tiffany said about, um, you know, I, I, I think there's this big backlash in America today with causes perhaps that have just become center stage instead of becoming common sense. Um, I do think one of the things that is important is that there are some key roles in firms that traditionally have been male uh, positions. And I think um, that kind of sends a signal in terms of the choices that consistently get made there. I, I never really thought about it until it was pointed out to me that uh, two out of my last three COOs were women. Uh, my general counsel is a woman and my chief talent officer is a woman and our, our leadership is probably 70% women. Um, that's more of a reflection of the fact that I don't see a, a man or a woman, but I see the best candidate. But I'm particularly proud that in positions on the executive uh, team, something like general counsel where I don't know 
you know, what the statistic is, but I would imagine there's not a lot of general counsels in our industry that are women. Um, I think that just, that, that helps to accentuate the fact that we are a very balanced uh, environment. Well, and I think to reframe too the, the discussion a little bit from, it's not necessarily that we're not, um, you know, that we're promoting people because they're women, but the statistic that Chad shared yesterday, that 49% of principals who are men have thought about leaving the industry, and 100% of women who are principals have thought about leaving the industry. So it's not necessary that we're not doing enough to promote women. Perhaps we're doing things that we're not realizing that are isolating them and causing them to want to leave. I think that's a different conversation. And I think in general that goes to a flexibility of workplace, whether it's to accommodate you know, women in the, in the birth cycle part of their lives or people who have long distances to travel or whatever. I think part of getting the best people, my opinion, is being as flexible as we can be so that we're getting, again, the best people um, and, and we're actually enabling them to work. Time for one more question. Anybody have anything for the panel? Hello, everyone. So my name is Sabine. I work for a structural engineering firm called Miyamoto. So I definitely agree about communication. And Mark Zweig, sorry, John Zweig, the other brother. Uh, John Spike spoke about marketing and how that's sort of at the core and the soul and it's not really just the marketing department's job but the whole firm's job and I think that really ties back to what you know some of the panelists spoke about about communication. I was in a interview with a, with another his colleague structural engineer and we were interviewing for a business development role uh, who was not a structural engineer and he asked the candidate do you know what structural en engineers do and she's and she said you know I'd appreciate if you you know, give me more insight. And he said, you know, see these columns and beams? We design those. And I think it's really sort of like about marketing and understanding how to communicate what we do because we don't design beams and columns. Um, you know, uh, Sepi spoke about it. You know, we design, you know, environments and communities, et cetera, and it's a sort of core at kind of communicating. And I also really liked about um, being a strategic advisor, a business partner, Engineers often, you know, do get bogged down in designing columns and beams, but sort of being able to also have investment strategies about what we design has, you know, impact on investment, kind of bringing that to the table, bringing different um, sort of being part of a bigger conversation around what we're designing and what we're doing is very critical as well. Probably one more question. Anybody have a comment, an example? of excellence in elevating the industry you want to share right here. Hi, Teresa Perrin, BHC Rhodes. We're a civil engineering firm. My comment is more from a parent and education perspective. Um, so I have a um, daughter who's a civil engineer. But the journey that we went on looking at schools um, and the number of kids that drop out, move at least not out of college, but out of engineering to the other. I think it will be important for us to continue to ask those students why they are leaving um, at a young age. And in our case, we found not only when we were looking at schools, but once she landed at a university, is her colleagues were leaving because of the, um, the access to teachers um, that were there that were highly, highly engaged with them. 
And I can't say it's across the board, but I think to elevate the industry, we should really consider the amount of people that are going into teaching in the engineering world that will be both inspirations and also to look at them individually at their talents. Um, many kids are asked what do they want to do, and if they say they love math, they say, well, you should go into engineering. But just because, or I should say they're good at math, they should go into engineering. Um, and I'm sure that applies to many fields as well. But many times it's not what someone is good at that they love. And hardly anybody ever talks about the things you're talking about is what happens when you apply that math. And so they become disengaged at that point that, well, I don't want to do math. I want to do problem solving or whatever. Um, and then the other thing is just we need to look at our universities from an engineering standpoint that look at our students as a number. Um, again, if they think they want to go into a certain area and they enter university and they're told, we can't tell you, you can get into the civil program or you can get into the water program until maybe your second or third year, that's very discouraging to students that feel like they know what they want to do. So just some comments that we look to not lose that talent that may be coming in early and then they depart out. Great, thank you. Any parting thoughts from our finalists? Please give them a round of applause. Thank you, Josh, Steve, Ozzy, and Seppi, and David. And thank you to the audience. We look forward to partnering, to partnering with you to see this mission become a reality. And what a great crescendo to close the educational portion of our conference. Uh, don't forget, attendance at these sessions over the past two days gives you up to 12 continuing education credits. Uh, I want to thank all of you for spending the last two days with us. We know your time is precious, and it is our intention to provide you the best experience possible. If we are to elevate this industry together, events like this must play a role. We want this event to stand out in the industry, so your feedback on how we can do better is greatly appreciated, or what you enjoyed is greatly appreciated. Before we go, I want to recognize the group that is helping elevate the industry by working so hard on this event. Would all Zweig Group staff please stand up? Please give them a round of applause. I want to give special recognition to Melissa Swan. Many of you know her. She's the one that manages all the moving parts and does a fantastic job. Donovan Brigham, in charge of graphics, has made us really look good this year. Margot Moulton in charge of video production, and you'll get to see more of her work tonight. It is going to be a treat. Kyle Ahern in charge of all awards and the man behind the curtain. And the reason that I'm actually going to be able to sit in the audience tonight and do part of this award ceremony, very thankful to him. Jaden Anderson managing our guest program and to the many others that helped. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to this Zweig Letter podcast episode. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm, subscribe now to the digital version of The Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately.